Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, July 9th, 2023, we continue our new series titled Spiritual Disciplines, Training for Godliness. Today's sermon, Persistent Prayer, will be taught to us by guest speaker Kyle DeRoberts out of Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Enjoy. I, I want to start off, though, with This has been an interesting kind of lead up to being here. And um, I couldn't quite figure it out. Uh, The teaching part's not the abnormal part. And so that's why when I started to feel a heaviness about being here this morning, I was like, why? And um, I was driving home over the 4th of July weekend. We were in uh, Northern Arizona in Sholo. And I was just praying. I was just spending time with the Lord, being like, why, why, why? And then it hit me around Saguaro. So it was a little while, Saguaro Lake. And um, what hit me was, this is a really cool morning. But I want to explain to you why it's, it's so cool. So when I was in junior high, uh, dead in my sin, lost as can be, um, I, against my will, uh, was sent to church camp. I'm literally serious, against my will. And so I went to church camp, and um, we got up there, and there was like nine Greyhound buses, a sea of kids, and I didn't quite know what to do. And um, I'm there by myself, and I'm walking to the gym. This is about the only comfortable part, because I I love the gym. I love basketball, and so they were playing bump out and these types of things, and so there was some measure of comfortability there. And um, what was different, though, was the worship band was practicing, and I remember hearing the music, and it was unlike the other kinds of music that I was listening to, and I, and I love music, and it just, it, there was something in me that was drawn to it. Didn't know what, I was just drawn to it. Then the service begins, and they're talking about and to Jesus, whom wasn't there, by the way, and so as somebody that wasn't a believer in Jesus, this is a bit odd, but then uh, the pastor got up, and the pastor began to talk about Jesus, and at the very end, he, uh, he shared the gospel, and when he did, uh, I believed it. And I gave my life to Christ. The very first time that I could remember hearing the gospel. Do you know who was preaching that day? Bob Wade. Told you, it's pretty cool. Then, uh, shortly thereafter, you get down the mountain. And, um, and by the way, in that, that weekend, um, I went home and I told my mom, I'm gonna go into ministry I don't know what that means, but I'm gonna go into ministry. <laughs> At that m- point, I thought it was just like youth pastor stuff. So I was like, well, this is what I've signed my life up for. This is great. No, this is good. So then, um, my very first discipleship leader, the very first man to invest uh, in me spiritually uh, and to walk with me and to teach me how to read the Bible, to teach me how to pray, uh, was Tyler McGrath. And so not only do I love Thomas and Kevin, these are two of my dearest friends on planet Earth, uh, but I think the significance of what the Lord was kind of, I was driving home to was, this is kind of one of those like full circle moments to to, to get to do this, to get to teach here with these specific men who have meant so much to me and, and just made such a big impact. And so I just wanna say thank you. So we're gonna talk about prayer. Prayer is kind of a big topic, wouldn't you say? 
Yeah? Okay, yeah, good. We got three people who think it's a big topic. The rest of you have got to know. So prayer's a big topic. And as Thomas and I were discussing this, you know, you got the spiritual disciplines and there's this idea and this, this repetitious nature of developing something of strength in our life. It's just the way it goes. And so then we began to think, well, what if we talked about what it means to pray a lot? over and over and over again. And and not just for like many different things, which is a good thing, by the way, but what if we looked at what it means for us to pray over and over and over again for one thing? And so for my purposes this morning, if, if we leave here, if you leave here with more courage and confidence that, you know what? I stopped praying for this one thing and I'm gonna start praying again. I I stopped praying about and for this one person, but I'm gonna start again. Or if you leave here and you have now just a a confidence to actually begin praying for someone or something, boy, this will be a big victory. But in order for me to demonstrate this to you, this repetitive nature of prayer, we're gonna look at three passages, three. Three. And just because I'm somewhat of a foreign object to you, I'll kind of let you know where we're going. Luke 11, Luke 18, and then Jeremiah 18. That'll kind of be our our course in which we will chart. Sound good? Can I pray before we get started? All right, let's pray. God, I love you. We love you. We thank you for today that you would use a collection of sinners like us to gather in this building just to love one another and to prepare our hearts to enter the world and to bring about change. That you would use us to advance your kingdom. We don't take this lightly. This is humbling. Jesus, we thank you for the grace and the mercy that you display on the cross for us. We thank you for your death and your burial and your resurrection. God, we are going to try our best to wrap our brains and our hearts around what it looks like to talk to you. So we're gonna need help. So help me. Help me so that I might be helpful to my brothers and sisters so that in turn we all might go be helpful to those that you've called us to love. Amen. If I were to tell you what the most, we're gonna start in Luke 11. If I were to tell you or ask you what is the most famous prayer in all the Bible, you would say the Lord's Prayer. Luke 11, 1 is where we're gonna find the Lord's Prayer this morning. So in Luke 11, one, it goes like this. This is how it begins. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. I don't know where this place was. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. So right off the bat, guess what's happening? Um, we, we know the direction of where we're going. Jesus is going to teach us about prayer. This is what he's being asked to do. And so Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. This is how it begins. Now, I have a question for you. If In light of what Thomas said, then I get up here and then I say, hey, you know, Thomas forgot one thing. He forgot to tell you how humble I am. This is good. There was laughter in the first service as well. 
See, right, this is appropriate. You would laugh at me, right? You would wonder, what is this guy thinking? You can't say things like that. But here's one of the realities for us. And what I'm not trying to do, please hear me, is I'm not trying to pin us solely against the world, but the culture with which we live in has made humility something that's unattainable. Like the very moment that you think you've arrived at humility, where have you not arrived? Humility. Or we just tell ourselves, uh, well, just think, think, think less of yourself and, and more about others. But Jesus is offering one of our first observations about prayer in the Lord's Prayer. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. What Jesus is doing is, is he's preparing the disciples that in order to talk to God, you had better be humble. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, I wanna offer you a biblical definition, a theological definition of humility. Humility is this, that you know who God is in light of who you are. It takes humility to admit from within one's heart that God, this is who you are, in light of who I am. We just sang a worship song, the last one. And we repeated a phrase over and over and over again. What was that phrase? My God, I heard mumbling. That is who you are, right? I'm not gonna sing it, I'm terrified. I checked this thing like five times because I don't want anyone to hear me sing, right? But my God, that is who you are. You are. You can't say that. That song was preparing your heart to acknowledge that God, that is who you are, so that when we approach God's word, we do so in a humble fashion. And so all humility is, is that you know who God is in light of who we are. And I don't want this to be something to be fearful of. I don't want this to be something that we run away from. There is no greater example of humility than Jesus himself. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 demonstrates this. And guess what? You're called to become more like Jesus and less like yourself. And as we strive to become more like Jesus, one of the things in which we become more as we do is humble. So this is a worthy pursuit. This is something that I want you to actually strive for, work towards, acknowledge when you see it in your brothers and sisters in Christ, that humility, yes, it is indeed something to be pursued. And here, when you pray, say, Jesus says, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. And then he goes on. He says, give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. So long before Jesus ever teaches his disciples how to get to some kind of a supplication or to a request from God, you first go through humility. You first go through, God, this is who you are. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Then you begin to wonder, okay, so give us this day, our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. One of the observations I need to make about this passage in particular is the repetitive nature of what it is that's being prayed for. It's bread, but it's not a weekly bread. It's not a monthly bread, but it's a daily bread. It's an each day kind of bread. 
and forgive us our sins. It's not sin, it's plural, it's sins. There's almost this idea in which once that sin's done, there'll be more sin and then more sin and and then more sin and so on. And so this prayer in and of itself, it's baked into that we are humble as we pray, but also the idea is, is that we will continually, repetitively ask for bread, ask for forgiveness of our sins. Bread. I don't know what kind of bread this is. I love bread. Do you love bread? Okay, so I don't know if this is bread bread um, because also in the Gospel of John in chapter six, Jesus is described as what? The bread of life. So there's one of two ways to look at that. Either way, it's worthy of a daily petition to God. God, give us this day our daily bread, meaning the the, the supplication, the, the nourishment to survive the day, or in light of John 6, this could have a Christological meaning. This could have a a Jesus-like lens in which we ask, give us each day our daily bread, our living bread. Christ, we need you every single day. And so in verse four, it says, and forgive us of our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and then lead us not into temptation. Here's what often happens. Because it's so famous of a prayer, when you get done with the Lord's Prayer, we just kind of think, well, the the prayer's done, and then we move on and we just continue to read. But what we can't miss, and I don't want us to miss, is that the teaching continues. Jesus doesn't stop teaching us about humility. He doesn't stop teaching us about the repetitive nature of prayer. But he continues. And this is how he continues. He tells a story. And so in verse five of Luke 11, he says, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. One of our first observations is that this friend is humble This friend is not going to the other friend's house at midnight because he has authority or power or wealth over this person, but he's in need. And Jesus just taught them how to pray. Give us each day our daily bread. So this would have been then customary. Like this would have been normative in this guy's life to daily ask for bread. So is it that odd then for him to go at midnight when he's out of bread to ask for more bread? And so here he is in a humble posture in need of food and sustenance. And then he prays over and over and over again, friend, lend me three loaves. And then the other friend said, or Jesus in the story goes, and he will answer him from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Here's the deal. Everyone listening to this story that Jesus is telling would have immediately rushed to the defense of the guy that's in bed with his kids at midnight, not going to the door. That was rude what this other friend was doing. You don't do that. And you don't do that today either, right? If you come to my house at noon, I'm looking at you through my ring. I'm not gonna answer the door. Right, let alone at midnight, but what Jesus is doing as he masterfully does all the time is he's, he's luring you in. He's luring your heart. He's getting you to buy in 
to the audacity of this younger, or this, this friend going to the other friend's house at midnight. But then he says in verse eight, he says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. In other words, this guy is gonna give him bread, but it has nothing to do with their friendship. Jesus says, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs because of his impudence. This is the only time in the New Testament, in the Greek, that this word is mentioned. Here's what it means. It means a lack of sensitivity to what is proper. It means having a carelessness about the good opinion of others. It means shamelessness. It means persistence. Jesus is telling us this man got what he needed because he was persistent, because he didn't care about the thoughts that one might have about him going at midnight. He did not care. He needed bread and he was gonna be persistent until he got it. If I had to guess, the thing that makes you and I feel the most uncomfortable about persistency in prayer is that we feel at times like we're bothering God. Like there's almost like there's like manners like Christian manners. And what you don't do with God is ask him over and over and over again for one thing. What do you do? You ask once, it's God. He'll answer if he wants to. And if he doesn't, then clearly that's not his will. And so then you move on. But what's troubling is, is your heart still cares. And so what we do is, is we feel as though we're inconveniencing God, we're bothering him, like we've got impudence. But what I want you to notice though is Jesus is actually telling us, I want you to pray to me like this. I told you to pray and ask me each day for bread, but some days you're gonna have to be persistent. Do you see this? What Jesus never does in this story is rebuke the, the friend going to the other friend's house at midnight. He never says, don't do it like this, but instead he says this, this is how I want you to pray. In verse eight, so Luke 11, verse eight, he says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. There's no rebuke. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. This is no rebuke. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. He is not rebuked. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? He does not rebuke him. Now go to Luke 18. Just a few chapters over. In Luke 18, 
It's still about humility, it's still about prayer, and it's still about repetitive prayer, but now there's an added element. So if we're talking about a spiritual discipline, what is being conformed within you as you repeatedly pray for something, one thing, Jesus is gonna tell us it actually does a work within our heart. In Luke 18, one, it says this, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to what? Pray and not lose heart. We spoke just a little bit ago about why we gave up on praying. This adds another layer to why we gave up praying. We lost heart. It doesn't mean you don't believe in God anymore. It doesn't believe that you're like mad. But what we're doing when we, when we stop praying for something or stop praying about someone, what we're doing is, is, is our hearts can't take it anymore. And so we're just, gonna, we're just not gonna pray about it. And so what Jesus is trying to do is, is instead say, I need you to keep praying because this is gonna develop within you a kind of strength in which will build up a kind of endurance that's actually gonna strengthen your heart. Let's keep reading. In verse two of chapter 18 in Luke, he says, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. In other words, this was not a humble person. This is somebody that didn't quite understand the difference between who God is and who they are. Enter humility. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. Other than orphans, a widow was the most vulnerable human being at this time. What we don't know is why the injustice, like what the injustice was. Some commentators have drawn the conclusion that this was likely because of her deceased husband. She should have been then given access to certain kinds of funds or a place to live until everything was settled. And so very likely, his family was withholding these things from her. And so this adversary is not a foreign entity, but this was somebody near and dear, someone that she loved, shared holidays with, had memories. And so here she is in this humble posture before this not humble judge saying, give me justice against my adversary, but I want to show you the repetitive nature though of her request. It says in that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him, giving you the illusion, the idea, the imagery that this has been going on over and over and over again. Jesus is building a theme in which he's teaching us how to pray and very specifically, not just for a lot of different things, but for one thing, I need bread. Forgive my sins. Give me justice against my adversary. In verse four of Luke 18, he says, for a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man. See, told you, not humble. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me. So humility, re repetitive prayer, 
and Jesus' teaching on prayer are in both of these stories. But one of the key words that's going to link these two passages together is bothering or bother. You don't need to go there, but Luke eleven seven, where we just were, he says, and he will answer him from within. Remember, he's with his children at midnight. He says, do not bother me. The door is now shut. In Luke 18, 5, yet because this widow keeps bothering me. See, what Luke is doing is he's drawing these two stories of Jesus together, and he's connecting them. He says, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Bother's an interesting word. The word bother here actually means to cause to happen or to be brought about, to make something happen. Yet because this widow keeps bothering me. So this is where you're supposed to be a little terrified at where I'm taking this. You're thinking to yourself, wait a second. What if I keep praying over and over and over and over for the same thing and then God gives me the thing but it wasn't supposed to be for me or it's not good for me and God still gives it to me? See, that's why I stopped praying because I don't want that to happen. But what did we say? Humility is knowing who God is in light of who we are. Well, who is God? God is sovereign. God has the right to control all things and he does. God is providential. This is the means by which he controls all things. This is who God is. God is loving. God is love. That means that anytime you love, you're doing so only because of the one who loved you first. This is what makes your love different than any other kind of love the world might offer. But here's another part to this. God is immutable. God does not change. It's part of his very nature. So we don't have to live in fear that just because we're praying for something over and over and over again, that somehow God is not going to give us something. I butchered that. That as we pray for something over and over and over again, that God is somehow gonna give you what you shouldn't have. I like that better. Thanks for laughing. We're going to get more to this immutability aspect here in a sec. Because you know who does change, though, in the midst of praying over and over and over again? You know who has the potential to change as we pray over and over again? Me. And you. So we'll return to this. Verse five, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Once again, we see the repetitive nature. This judge is fully aware of it. He's annoyed. This is impudent. She's being persistent, bothersome. And guess what? She gets what she wants. She gets her justice. But beat down, though, this is, we can't pass over this. This is too fun. Beat down literally means to blacken an eye, to give a black eye, to strike someone in the face. This judge is using quite graphic language to describe the repetitive nature of these prayers. He feels as though he's being punched in the face over 
and over and over again. My friends, this is Jesus teaching us how to pray, to be continual and to be persistent. God loves us enough to enter the fight with us. How amazing is that? Once again, what I don't want us to also miss is that this widow is never rebuked, just like the friend that went to the other friend's house at midnight. Because Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And in order to pray, and there's lots of different ways to pray, but one of the key ways that we're seeing here in the Gospel of Luke is that we are to pray over and over and over again. Okay, now it's gonna get personal. So one of, uh, you know, my, my folks, they got divorced when I was in my 30s. And I, I, I write about this in the book, but I also, when my dad told me, he's here, he's in the back. Um, when dad was like, hey, I'm coming on Sunday, I'm like, that's awesome, I might talk about the divorce. Um, so he's fully aware of this, and so this is okay. Uh, but here's what I wanna do with this, though. I, I love my parents. I have a great relationship with my parents. My dad was the best man in my wedding. I talk to my mom all the time. But what I want this to, I'm trying to bring this home as intimately as I can in terms of an experience in my life in which I've prayed over and over for something and maybe even quit. So I'm using this as my example. So I'm in, Lolly and I are in Dallas. I'm doing my residency at um, Dallas Theological Seminary. And I don't know if you guys have ever, um, like kind of like things have exploded and you're not there. How kind of like helpless of a feeling that is. And so what do you do? You pray, right? And for me, just providentially, uh, I was working on a project in which I was doing a lot of research on prayer. And so it was just that the Lord would walk with me through this was very healing on many different levels. And to be honest with you, I kind of felt like I had a slam dunk, like between me and God. Like I'm praying for a divorce not to happen. God says he hates divorce. You're kind of like, hey, is there much more to talk about, right? Like let's, we can clean this up by Monday. And so, but nothing, nothing happened. Uh, and seemingly things get worse and worse. And um, I began to doubt myself. I began to go, well, am I doing something wrong? Does God not love me? Can, can he not hear me? Um, am, I, am I asking for the wrong thing? Like I'm just, I'm going through all of these possible scenarios as to why. And if I'm totally honest at some point, I noticed it had been a couple days and I was like, I haven't prayed about this in a while. And my heart, Luke 18, one, my heart, I had given up. And so I'm going about my ways and then I come across Jeremiah 18. So go to Jeremiah 18. So Jeremiah 18 has nothing to do with prayer. Nothing. And I'm gonna show you that. I'm gonna be honest. I'm gonna say this has nothing to do with prayer and I'll show you the context. But then I wanna go back though and then I wanna read it and I wanna show you why I might have read it prayerfully given the circumstances in that moment. Sound good? So here's Jeremiah 18 verse one. It says, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Here's the word. Arise. Go down to the potter's house and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house 
And there he was working at his wheel. No, no joke, I, in the first draft of the book, I had a story about um, Dirty Dancing and Patrick Swayze in there and it got omitted immediately, that's fine. So I went down to the potter's house and there he was working at his wheel and the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand and he reworked it into another vessel. That's why I'm not afraid of God giving you something that isn't good for you. He's the potter, you're the clay. As it seemed good to the potter to do, not to the clay to do, but to the potter to do. Verse five, then the word of the Lord came to me O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up or break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I had intended to do to it. This is a warning passage. And then in verse 11, he says, now say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return to me. Return everyone from his evil way and amend your ways and your deeds. See, Israel and Judah, they're in the hands of the potter. And depending on their reaction to this warning, we will see what kind of vessel is shaped by the potter. Prayer. As I've reflected back, the repetitive nature of my prayer in the potter's hand, what I came to learn is, is why I gave up is my timing, my means, my ends, my plan, they weren't being answered. And so like an unworkable lump of clay in the potter's hand, I lost heart and I, I, I began to not pray about it anymore. But then I began to wonder because of this passage, but what if God has something else? What if there's something else to be praying for? And this is what it was. It was comfort. It was God's presence. It was him making himself known to me in the midst of a disaster. And so I began to pray that prayer. And to say that God answered that prayer would be an understatement. And as I've thought back and as I've looked back, I don't think I would have ever gotten to the prayer for comfort unless I would have worked my heart through the repetitive nature and the repetitive prayer for a divorce not to occur. Now for you, I want, to, I want you guys to close your eyes and bow your heads. I, and this is for no other purpose for just you just to have, not have any distractions. And 
I want you to think for a moment. I'm gonna ask some questions. You answer them within your own heart. And I'm gonna kind of free you up to pray. Have you ever stopped praying over and over again because you thought the answer was no? With prayer, God is the only one that gets to declare that a prayer is unanswered. So until it is no longer feasible or possible, might I kindly recommend, urge to pray. Why did you stop praying for that thing or about that person? Why did you give up? Here's the thing, if your answer had anything to do with God being annoyed or bothered, or perhaps just not the Christianly way to behave, then we have to come up with a better answer because God has given us permission to go to him often and without reproach. Maybe you never stopped praying because you never started My question for you is why haven't you started praying that prayer for something or for someone? Are you nervous if God says no? Do you think, well, he'll just take care of it and he doesn't need your input? Once again, we have to adjust our thinking on that. Jesus himself is the one that is showing us and modeling for us that we ought to pray over and over again. And so I want you to take this this moment, it's yours, between you and the Lord. If there's something that you've quit praying for or about, why don't you start that right now? Begin once again. And if there's just been fear which has crippled you to even begin to pray for something, Might I encourage you, now is the time. Begin praying for that and enjoy this time with the Lord. May we be a humble people. May we be a people who knows who God is in light of who we are. May we pray for all kinds of things, but may we also, church, be a people that prays a lot for one thing. If you guys uh, need anything, we'll be up front and we wanna pray. Otherwise, have a wonderful week and thanks for welcoming me in here. See you guys.